Okay, good morning. Let's get started. Um, I want to open, we're gonna, you're going to hear this in the service as well, but this, um, this is the collect in the prayer book for the first Sunday of Advent, and it's one of my favorites of all time, because today is the first Sunday of Advent, and so I want to start us this morning as well, and you'll see why there's something in here that talks about the armor of light, and you're going to see an illustration in my teaching this morning, and you'll know um, what I mean when we get there, but let's pray. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Love that prayer. Okay, today I want to um, I want to talk to you. We're at part four already of our teaching, and I want to talk to you today about what we might call doing the stuff. Okay, we've been talking about the stuff, and we talked about a framework for supernatural ministries um, and how they work in relationship to God's kingdom and how they are a means of advancing God's kingdom and the lordship of Jesus over. The world over the hearts and minds of people. But when it comes to the practical side of things, we're going to be kind of moving more practical now. We talked about spiritual gifts quite a bit last week, but um, we're going to talk about kind of putting things into practice, being bold and risky and all that stuff. So one author says this, really the question is not how to convince God to do miracles for us as if he were a fussy giver, but how to grow in the miracle working power that God makes available to us. We shouldn't merely ask God to do miracles for us. We should work at performing them in his name. Okay? That puts a whole lot more onus on us, doesn't it? Right? Now, the the power is all God's, but we actually have to believe that God's put that power in us and entrusted us with us. And so instead of just asking God, if it be your will, will you do this miracle? We, We step in, we stand in the gap, and we actually walk actively in his miracle working power. So we're going to kind of call this teaching doing the stuff, (laughs) okay? Doing the stuff. So we are commanded and commissioned to do the stuff. And this commission to do things on behalf of God as his representatives in the world goes all the way back to the beginning of the biblical story. So let's let's revisit that by way of reminder, go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Nothing in all of Scripture um, is disconnected from the rest of all of Scripture, right? There is always the, this thread that runs through the Bible that threads everything together. It's such a, it is the most coherent story that you will ever read is because it's God's story. And there's all kinds of hidden gems in there, but there's a thread that weaves everything together. So let's, this is where the idea of representing God faithfully starts and doing, doing the stuff. It tells us this. Then God said, he is now, he's created the physical world. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So if you notice, there's a whole lot of imperatives in those verses, meaning they're, they're kind of being commanded to do stuff, right? They're being, he, first he blesses them, okay? Then he commands them to do stuff. What are some of the things he commands them to do? Take care of the, care of the, the earth. Be fruitful. Be fruitful, right? Meaning pr- reproduce, have children. Rule. To rule, right? He says rule over the language of dominion. So there's, there's a number of things there, but this is the first Great Commission, okay? And it is very much tied to the Great Commission of Matthew 28, 20, where Jesus says to make disciples of all nations. But at the very beginning of the story, we see a God who creates a special kind of creature that's unlike the rest of creation, and they're special because they're made in his image. And what that means is that we are made with something of him in us that is to reflect him rightly to the world around us. So it's the picture of us as God's, what we might call co-regents or viceroys, that we are working in cooperation with him to extend his rule. He is the king and we are his co-regents, meant to reign over all of the world, over all of creation. Jesus said this to his disciples, okay? In John 15, way forward in the story. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Okay? So there's a number of these little commissions in uh, the Gospels. And Jesus is interestingly, again, using, he's using the language of um, like agriculture, fruit, right? This is the language of gardens. So he's saying, I chose you. Okay? Jesus chose you. You didn't choose him. He chose you. He made you his own. But he also appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. That you might represent him rightly in the world. Okay, do you see the echo of Genesis 1 there? It's a commission to go out and do the stuff, right? To represent him rightly. And he calls that, likens that to a plant that's healthy and full of life that's bearing fruit. Okay, let's look at a story in uh, the book of Acts, where we're going to spend a lot of time in this class. Acts chapter 8. We were actually in Acts 8 last week when we talked about uh, what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The reason that I want to hammer this point is that we're so, we've gotten so used to um, uh, believing that God has to do all the stuff that we're just simply kind of making appeals to him and crossing our fingers and hope that he does good things in the world. That's really not the biblical model. Now, of course, God is sovereign and it's his power behind everything, but the biblical uh, picture is of a people. There's always a people that God commissions and gives a mandate to go and bear fruit and reflect him in the world so that others can, can come into uh, a flourishing, abundant relationship with him. Okay. So let's just see a picture of that now in the New Testament church where the Holy Spirit has now been poured out. Here's, here's what this looks like. Uh, verse 4 of Acts chapter 8, this is describing a man named Philip who is not one of the apostles, okay? It says, those who had been 
scattered, preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, okay, that interesting language, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So who's doing the stuff in this story? Philip is doing the stuff, and it describes it that way. It, interestingly, it doesn't say, in uh, God was doing things just using Philip as his instrument, though that would be true to say, but it describes it as, and it does this often in the book of Acts, is that it describes people as doing miracles, as doing healings, as preaching the gospel effectively, and all of that. Okay, so that's just one example in scripture of somebody who's now bearing fruit. Okay, he's abiding in the vine of Jesus, and he's bearing fruit. So the Bible has no problem describing people performing miraculous deeds. Okay. It's not inaccurate. It wouldn't be blasphemy to say if, if Tal laid hands on Glenn and he got healed of something, to say Tal healed Glenn. He performed a miracle of healing. Now we all know that what we're saying is that God's power and spirit in Tal worked through him to heal Glenn, but the Bible's okay with the language of describing people doing things, and I think that's important. Here's another interesting little story. We're going to go back to the Old Testament in Judges chapter 3. I really want us to see the nature of God and his desire for people to learn through training and experience to do what he commissions them to do. So Judges chapter 3. Now Judges is probably like the most R-rated book in the Bible. So you can go home and read it on your own time. It's like 12 chapters. It is uh, really intense, especially when it comes to violence. But um, this, is a, this is a story, and it's largely because people were kind of just trying to run their own lives apart from God, and that's why it's such a grim tale. But this is an interesting little nugget that's tucked away here in the book of Judges. Okay, so this is now uh, after the initial uh, march into Canaan to take over, the, to destroy the Canaanites and to take over their land. Okay, that's... That the initial phase of that has happened. Now listen to this. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not previous battle experience. The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites, living in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal, Hermon, to Lebo, Hamath, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their ancestors through Moses. So this, this is amazing. This is telling us that God left certain people groups undefeated for the sake of Israelites who had not yet got any warfare experience, and he wanted to test them to see if they would be obedient to his mandate to go in and take the land and to conquer the Canaanites. Some of them didn't get the opportunity yet, so God made sure that there was some leftover training to happen. That's how much God wanted them to act boldly and riskily on his behalf, knowing that he would work through them to bring victory. I just love that little story. It's just a reminder of how God takes 
us obeying his commandments and his commissions very seriously. He wants us to get training and to grow in the things that he calls us to do. Now, of course, you know, we're not battling against Canaanites or Hittites or I don't know, you know, we're not battling against Floridians or Alabamans or Georgians anymore. The battle is now what Paul says against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So the things we are commissioned to do are a warfare. They are to come against the, the powers of darkness and unbelief and sickness and sin that hold people in bondage to unbelief and, and they hold them in, in, in slavery apart from Jesus. And we're commissioned to go in on a rescue operation and do battle on the behalf of the lost. So here's a question for discussion. What are some of the risks supernatural ministry might involve taking? Now let me, and let, let me just, um, let me just uh, re reword this. What are some of the risks that uh, bold witness type ministry might involve taking? What are some of the risks? To stand out alone, kind of feeling on your own. Could be told off. Yep. Yep. That's a risk. It's always a risk. Yeah. Failure. You're risking failure. What will or what might feel like it? People might think you're a little bit loony. Right. Get out of here with that stuff. We don't. uh, We don't. We don't need any of that stuff. Yeah. What else? What are some of the risks? Could be your life in certain areas of the world. It could isolate yeah. us from people. Okay, it could isolate you or, or it could um, hinder relationships or it could, right? Alone. Be, being alone, right? Feeling the sense of loneliness and in, in being alone, yeah. What else? Confidence. Yeah, it, it, the, it, it's a risk. Um, it, and you're always going to lack some level of confidence when you're taking a risk, right? Otherwise, it wouldn't really be that risky. You'd be like, oh, I have total confidence for this. It doesn't feel like a risk. So yeah, it, that's a big one, right? Is lacking confidence. Okay. And, and all of, but all of those, notice that everything everybody said, it has a, uh, it has a root in fear, right? It, a fear of a failure, of uh, feeling alone, of being rejected, of relationships being hindered. And interestingly, Jesus, he was constantly addressing this kind of stuff that was going to come at his disciples, but he constantly threw out the narrative where he's saying, get ready, your family's going to hate you, your friends are going to persecute you, they're going to put you in jail and all this. But through all that narrative, he constantly says three words, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Because Jesus knew and intuited that our natural response was going to be fear when it comes to being bold and taking risks on his behalf. But it's, friends, it's the only way that the gospel goes forward in the world is through bold risk-taking, right? It's the only way the gospel goes forward in the world. Now, okay, so, so taking risks or doing the stuff Jesus calls us to do, putting ourselves on the line for him, is the thing that will take us, and I love this, this is from a different author, he says, from being mere believers to actual trusters, Right? We, 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 we have a hard time often getting past the belief in our heads and actually becoming trusters from the heart that God will act when I step out on his behalf. He will do something. He will do something when I step out. All right, let's look at another, let's look at another uh, biblical 
commission here. It's all the way towards the end of the Bible, James chapter 1. Hebrews, James, there it is. Okay, 22 through uh, 25. James says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. <laughs> uh, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So there is here, there is a, um, there is a strong word of uh, exhortation. There is a uh, word of um, caution or uh, reprimand. And then there's a word of promise. So let's try to identify all those. What's the, what's the command or the strong exhortation at, at the beginning of the passage? Do, do what the word says, right? Do what it says. Obey God's word. And what's the warning part of the passage? What, is it, what does it kind of tell us? Or the, the kind of the, the, the rebuke or the reprimand in the passage? Yeah. What, is he, what, what, uh, what metaphor does he use to describe... Uh, being a, a, a reader but not a doer, or a listener but not a doer. What is he, what's the picture he gives us? A mirror. Yeah, right. He's like, it's like looking at yourself and then turning around from the mirror and forgetting what you look like. And he says, when we are readers and listeners of the word, but we turn around and go into life and we don't do what it says, that's a, he's, he's saying that's, that's not commendable right? That's, not, that's what he's saying. It's not commendable. And James, could, you could put all kinds of things under that, right? It could be that you turn away from the word and don't forgive your enemies, even though you know that's what it says. It could be all those things. But it also could include being a, being a witness for Jesus, right? Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, okay? So now what's the, what, is the, um, what is the encouragement or the promise, though, that he gives in the passage? Ah, who will be blessed in what they do? The doer of the word, right? But also, it's interesting in verse 25, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. So this is like, he's saying that there's also a, a sort of a deep reflection and meditation in listening when we approach the Lord's word. Okay, that's a part of it, okay? You'd be like, oh, Jesus says, go bear fruit. Okay, that's good, I gotta go bear fruit. James is like saying, looking intently, it's like gazing at God's word, listening deeply, asking, what does this mean for me, right? There's an intention behind that that goes beyond just reading the text, okay? And I, I love how he connects that with walking in it, right? Not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. 
they will be blessed in what they do. So the Lord promises to bless you if you do what he says, and it applies to being a witness for him as well, right? We're walking in supernatural ministry in whatever, whatever situation you are in, the promise is nothing less than God's own blessing, okay? Now, here's what I want us to see, though, with passages like this, is that ministering in the Spirit's power, it's not just an invitation to the advanced or the super spiritual, but it's a command to all believers. And I think this James passage, the Lord put, put, put it in my, in my mind for us because I think he wants us to feel not only his invitation to partake in something more deeper that leads to deeper intimacy with him, he actually wants us to feel a bit of the pressure of the command. And it's okay. I think it's okay. You, when, when you act boldly for Jesus, you're most likely not going to usually feel an emotional surge that makes you feel like you want to do it. You're not. I, I, I find that rare. In my case, if somebody has that, great for them. I'm not that spiritual or advanced. So the thing that you can always fall back on, though, is that my Father in heaven who loves me commands me to do this, to be a bold witness for Jesus. And I can't go wrong by doing that. And James tells me that if I do it, I'll be blessed in some way. And guess what? If you get rejected, will you still be blessed? Even more so, because the scripture makes it so clear. It says that if you uh, suffer on account of the name of Christ, the spirit of grace and of glory rests on you. So the Holy Spirit's blessing and presence rests on us when we suffer for the name of Christ. So there's blessing abundant when we are willing to not just listen, uh, but to do the word and to see that it's not only an invitation, but command. All right. Jesus made this promise to his disciples. Very truly, I tell you. Okay, so maybe we'll ask the question before we read this. Well, what does that look like? What, what should I do? What should my public witness for Jesus involve? What, it, what does it look like? Well, Jesus says this. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So, Here's the answer right here to what our public witness will look like. It will look like what Jesus' public witness looked like. So what are some things that Jesus did as a public witness to the truth of who he was? There's a whole bunch of them. He lifted the dead. He raised the dead. He fed the multitudes, right? He fulfilled prophecy, yes. And he also operated in the prophetic gifting and knowledge of people's lives and things like that. What else? He healed the sick. That was a big, big part of what he did, right? Yeah. Yeah, he grieved with those who are grieving. Yeah, he wept when his friend Lazarus was dead, and then, then he raised him up, right? I, the, the, the healing thing, though, that's, that takes up such a large percentage of the narratives of Jesus' public ministry in the Gospels. I think it's something like 40% of the stories in the Gospels involve Jesus healing someone. And, and the church really needs to reclaim that ministry. Um, I, you know, you've heard me say it a thousand times, but not only in the walls of the church, but Jesus did it out there. And it's one of the reasons that so many crowds were drawn to him and were willing to listen to him is because there was a power that he was walking in that could make them whole. Okay, we really need to reclaim, I think, the ministry of public healing and walking in that, right? 
and we, we need to grow in those sort of things. What else did Jesus do? What else are other parts of his public witness? Teaching. He spoke, and a lot of people did not like what he had to say. In fact, it's one of the reasons he was tortured and crucified. He spoke boldly, right? Tell Herod that fox that I'll continue to heal the sick and cast out demons, and on the third day, you know, he, he did not bat an eyelid. He did not uh, withdraw from pressing forward um, in deep, deeper into obedience to the Father. And was he blessed? He was blessed. But it didn't look like it for a while, did it? It looked like what all of his public ministry resulted in was rejection, scorn, mocking, torture, and murder. Shame, all of that. But he was blessed, okay? And so think of every time you think of the potential of being mocked or scorned or rejected, think about Jesus on the cross and how God honored his willingness to, to suffer all that. How did he honor it? He vindicated him by raising him from the dead, okay? And so the Lord will raise you up, in a sense, with blessing, even if you are rejected. Yeah. My experiences of public witness for Jesus, rejection is a small percentage. I'll just tell you that to encourage you. Rejection is a small percentage. There's some disinterest, lack of interest. There's um, some, like, hard-heartedness, like, not really open, but most of what I experience is some level of openness and gratitude and, 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 and sometimes transformation of a life, okay? Okay. And that's, that's something to not take lightly, that we live in a, in a place and in a time where it's still possible to uh, walk in that public witness without fear of, um, of real serious consequences. So Paul uh, said this, this is, um, I, some friends and I, three, three pastor friends and I, one of, them, one of our friends said, um, he's a pastor of this church here, he said, would you guys memorize the book of Philippians with me in the, in the month of November? It's four chapters, it's 120 verses, that's four verses a day, and we all reluctantly said, okay. And so I just memorized the book of Philippians, now it, it, it is... Um, it, uh, it was good for my soul, and it's made me want to memorize more because you, when you pressure yourself to do something like that, you, you want to do more of it. But So this was, on, anyway, all that to tell you, this was on my mind, this verse, when it comes to thinking about walking in God's power and representing him rightly and fulfilling the mandate that was given to Adam and Eve and the mandate that Jesus gave to his disciples. Paul says this, okay? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay? So, here's what we learn in this verse. We work out, God works in. Okay? There's a synergy. There is a synergy in our public witness, okay? And that is that as we are working out God's will for our lives, which is to bear fruit and be faithful public witnesses, at the same time, God is working in us. He's working inside us and through us. Our Father is working in us. In what he's doing, he's actually, God is the one who's responsible. Notice this word here. Now, we, we, we don't have any, we, it's, it's, very easy to think about God working in us to work for him, right? To work out 
deeds, but we often miss this. God works in you to will. The desire to be fruitful and to obey the Lord comes from the Lord. God does that work in us. So if for, for those of us who are, in, are feeling captive to fear when it comes to being bold for Jesus, the place that we start is not necessarily just jumping out and saying, okay, everybody, do you know Jesus? It's to ask God to change our wills. God, give me the will to obey your word, to be a public witness for you. You have to change my heart. You have to help me overcome the fear of man because if you don't, I can't do it. And I think God loves that prayer. He loves that prayer because it's he who will who will cause us to will what is good and righteous and holy, what is bold, what is fruitful. Okay, questions or comments right now before we, before we move to the next slide. Okay. What are some everyday opportunities to minister in the Spirit's power? Discuss. Everyday opportunities. What's that? Contact. Just the very mere fact of we have contact with people. Good. Any kind of contact. What, what does some of that contact look like in your everyday life? With people who are... Being helpful, being a good neighbor. Okay. So deeds of service to people. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We're always around people that we don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's all over. What are, what are some specific ways? What are some, spe- you name some specific ones. Say those again. You said we go and we. Say we go to the store. Okay, we go to the grocery store, right? Where's the contact there? With, usually with who? Customers. With, with oh, okay, could be with people in the aisles shopping with you. Who, who else? Cashier. Yes, right? Cashier. There, those moments when you're in line in the cashier and the store's not busy and there's nobody behind you, those are ripe moments, right? I'm going to give you an example of how something like that, what that might look like, okay? What, what else? Did you say movies? We go to the movies? Okay, so there. Who are you in contact with? The one that's next to you, the one that's Yep. Yep. Or what's that? I know one. What? Yes. Yeah, and there was, there was contact, right? Yes. So my point is that there, every day there are opportunities to come into contact to minister in the Spirit's power. And that might look like what Ginny said. It might look in humility, uh, taking time out of your day to serve somebody, okay? Okay, that's, a, that's in word, that's in deed, right? Then there, but there's also ministering in the Spirit's power in word as well, which is to... Uh, to speak of the gospel, to share Jesus with people, to share the good news, right? And those two, are, those two, we need both of them, right? We need word and deed. And often the deeds that we walk in, whether it's service or praying for somebody or uh, healing, those are the context in which we speak the word of Jesus, okay? I helped a lady out. I think I told this story a couple weeks ago, but I helped a lady out who was handicapped, get her electric car plugged in the other day, 
and she was super grateful. And I said, the reason I stopped and helped you is because I'm a follower of Jesus and I feel like this is what he would have done for you. That opened up a conversation about the Lord and I was able to pray for her, right? So those deeds often become the platform from which you are able to speak about why you are doing this, okay? Somebody that I was ministering to recently who was in a pretty serious, uh, spiritually dark place, um, uh, asked, why are you doing this? Why do you, she said, why do you care? Why do you care? I love that question. Only because Jesus is in me. That's what I told her. I said, I'm so glad you asked that because apart from Jesus in me, I probably wouldn't. But Jesus is in me. And so I care about you and I love you because I feel his love for you. And he wants you to be free of this. Okay. So there are all kinds of opportunities. Let's, let's think about an example. This is just, I made this up, but this is based on a lot of kind of conversations that I have when I'm in public, because I spend a lot of time in these places, coffee shops, okay? So let's just imagine this conversation. The barista says, hi, what can I get for you? And you say, hi, how's your morning going so far? I'll usually stop. I won't go on with the order, because I don't like uh, just like feeling like this is, you're just here for my transactional purpose, I want to acknowledge that that person is a human being who has a life and emotions and troubles and joys. And so I'll often, before I order my coffee, say, hey, how's your, or if I'm at Chipotle and they say, oh, is this for here to go? I say, hey, how's your day going today? Okay, I'll, if, as long as, you know, they're not overwhelmingly busy. If they're not overwhelmingly busy. Okay. So they often, a lot of times people say this, okay. And what I say is, just okay, huh? And usually, a lot of times, people will open up a little bit, right? They'll say, I'm tired, or I've been under the weather, or, or whatever. If you get somebody who's really open, they might just you know, tell you, uh, my grandma died this week, or something, right? It could be anything. But so let's say this person, said, she, she says, the barista says, yeah, I'm just tired. My three-year-old was up sick all night, okay? Now, here's, here's what happened. Something, a threshold has been broken right here, okay? And that is the threshold of this kind of transactional, sterile uh, interactions that we normally have when we're purchasing something from a store or a coffee shop or a movie theater or whatever. You can break that threshold, that barrier, by simply asking a question like, how are you doing today, right? Thank you for, um, thank you for serving me, and then they're ringing your stuff up. How long have you worked here? Do you enjoy making coffee, right? Just breaking the mold by opening up the conversation, people usually in my, in my and you know, you can tell if they're kind of like, oh, I'm fine, and they're just, they don't want to talk, it's fine, leave them alone, right? Don't, don't press that. But usually people are open to sharing something about their day or their night or their life or, or whatever, okay? And a threshold gets broken. Now, here's where you could go with this, right? This is just an example of a million different ways you could go with this. So you respond, ah, oh, I'm so sorry, I've been there. Hey, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I, I believe, and now it kind of seems random to say this, but it also makes sense, okay? So I'll often say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I believe he'd want you to, like, sense his strength and comfort, even though it's just, you know, a sick kid, it's hap- it happens, it's normal. Can I, can I say a quick prayer for you just while we stand right here and you make my drink? Look, we don't even have to close our eyes or anything like that, because sometimes that lightens the pressure for people. They're nervous about standing there and, like, bowing their head. Um, and then maybe the barista says, sure, okay, yeah, thanks, I appreciate that, right? A lot of, lot, that's normally what people say to me. Um, they usually say, sure, thanks. And they might be making my coffee and 
whatever and pouring it. And I'm like, Jesus, I thank you for this person that, and I'll say their name and I'll pray the gospel. I will say, Jesus, thank you that you are the, that you paid the price for our sins so that we could be reconciled with a good father in heaven, that you are the only one who can do that. But I thank you that you're also a source of strength and comfort to those who are in need. And, I, and I'll ask the Lord to make his presence known to somebody. And I'll say, Jesus, would you send your Holy Spirit right now on Sarah, whatever her name is. Would you send your Holy Spirit on Sarah to, um, to just minister to her, to let her know that you're real and that you care for her? Something like that. I'm telling you that usually, I can't tell you the amount of times that people have looked up and had tears in their eyes. Why is that? That's because I invited the Lord's presence. Okay? It wasn't just, dear Jesus, please help Sarah have a better day and make her strong. Amen. Not that the Lord won't honor that prayer. He will. But you're, now you're, you're in. You see, there's these thresholds that you're crossing. You're like, okay, well, now I'm in because they've said, yes, I can pray. Now I, I, you have, at that point, they've given you permission to invite God's presence. And many times people will begin to be moved emotionally. And what you just you have to go with the flow if you've got 16 people in line behind you you're probably not going to get to sit there and sh- explain all of the gospel you have to trust that the lord is going to uh, seeds have been planted but sometimes you're going to be in that coffee shop that's not busy and that person's going to look up and their eyes are going to be watery and you know you're going to say something like after you close the prayer you're going to say has anybody shared with you that jesus loves you and he died for your sins so that you could be you could live in God's presence. You could be reconciled to God. And a lot of times people say, you know, it's really interesting that you're telling me this right now because da-da-da-da-da. I've had people say, I just asked God two days ago to show me a sign because I wanted to have a relationship with him again. And I haven't done that in years, right? There's, you'll, you'll see that there will be blessing. Like God will do something. And even in the, even in the things, this could have gone differently. The barista could have said, okay, yeah, my kid was up all night, so I'm just tired. And you say, I'm so sorry, I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, can I say a quick prayer for you? And they might say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually an unbeliever, I, so I don't really I, thank you for offering. But. And then you just say, okay, and you move on. So what? You were rejected. No big deal. The Bible says the spirit of grace and of glory rests on you. Okay? Small, small persecution, right? Okay. That's just an example. Now, this, I want to just show you this picture. This is what it feels like. This is what it feels like right before you say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. Could I pray for you? That's what it's like, right? It's your first time on the tip of the diving board. And mom and dad are cheering you on. The angels are cheering you on. And it's like, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Um, I, I, and everything in you wants to backpedal on that diving board and walk back down those stairs, okay? But what happens when the child jumps in? Woohoo! Right? That was so much fun. I can't believe I did it. Wow, something awesome happened. The water is amazing, and I'm swimming, and that was so fun to splash. I want to go do it again, right? I have young kids, so I know this all too well. I want to go do it again. Daddy, daddy, I want to go do it again, right? And it, I, I feel the same when you share the gospel, when you have an encounter with somebody, when the Spirit's power, you will feel fired up, and you'll want to do it again. Okay, but that's, I, I, know, the, I know the feeling. It's, it, it can be very nerve-wracking and daunting because this could go any number of ways. All right, now I shared, um, I think a couple of weeks ago, I was telling you about a, um, a scene from a movie that 
demonstrates the kind of power that is in us that we don't see in the visible realm. And I want to, I felt like this was an appropriate, I want to show a clip from a movie now to demonstrate this because this is a beautiful picture. Oh, and I, and this reminds me while I'm talking, I'm going to plug the sound thing into my computer. This is a beautiful picture of the power that is in us to minister in these I think that's it, to minister in these situations because there's something in you that you don't see or feel. And that is the Spirit's power and the Spirit's anointing to do something that you can't do in your own strength. So let's see if this works. Okay, we're going to skip that for this morning and maybe go back to it next week. Okay. Yeah, I know, that's gross, right? So that's, that's, that's King Theoden. And King Theoden is the king of uh, Rohan, I think, or Gondor, I can't remember which one. Is it Rohan? Rohan. And he has been taken over by the powers of darkness, which is why he looks so aged and gross and creepy. Um, And he's basically, he's under the spell of an evil wizard named Saruman, for those of you who don't know the story. Okay? Okay, do we have volume? <laughs> if you haven't seen these movies, hopefully this will give you a taste and make you want to watch them because they're they're incredible.
You have no power here. Gandalf the Grey. <laughs> That's uh, that's Saruman in his in his tower. Woo! <laughs> I love that. I love 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 that scene. It's so good. So, think about that scene though for a minute, as a picture of an encounter with um, with an unbeliever. Okay, that's what it is really. Now Theoden had been taken over and put under the spell of uh, Saruman, the evil wizard. And after this scene, he's, his youthfulness starts to come back and his wrinkles go away and he's restored to his right mind and all of that. But, you know, Gandalf said, for too long you have lived among the shadows, right? And that's, that's when we're facing an unbeliever, that's what we need to think. Too long they've lived among the shadows of darkness and unbelief, of, of sin and addiction. And he, you know, he, they're going to have like Grima Wormtongue, who is the little creepy guy beside the king, he was whispering in his ear, oh, he's an unwelcome guest, right? And unbelievers are always going to have the enemy trying to keep them from, you know, opening up to the power of light. But we have power and authority over the enemy. And if somebody opens up and is willing, we are able to, 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 to bring them to freedom. Well, how do we do that? Not with, a, not with a wizard staff, but with the power of the gospel, when the power of the Holy Spirit, people can be set free. Now, Theoden, Theoden goes to get himself back, like I said, and he's, held, and he's able to lead his armies, and it has a huge repercussions for Middle-earth, the, 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 the world in which this story takes place. So I just think that's such a beautiful picture of you're standing there and you're thinking, I don't have any power, I don't have an authority, but really you're like Gandalf. He's not Gandalf the Grey anymore, he's Gandalf the White, and he takes off his robe and he's glowing in glory. That's us in the power of the Spirit. We have authority, okay? And we have authority against the enemy and his lies over people's lives. And uh, just speaking the word, of the, the name of Jesus, sharing the gospel, praying with somebody, um, exercising a spiritual gift, sharing a word that you feel like you have for them, all of that is like a way of, in a sense of instrument of setting them free from being under the spell of the evil one. Okay? So I thought that that would maybe be a helpful picture of, um, of uh, these kind of encounters that we're talking about. Okay, we're, we're out of time for today, but what I wanted us to do for the last few minutes is just to, um, just to partner up and spend a couple of minutes praying um, and here's, here's what I'm thinking specifically, okay? Praying and asking the Lord for four things. Opportunities this week to serve, to share, to pray, any of that. To pray for fresh empowerment from the Holy Spirit, right? We need God to work in our will. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to change our will. Pray for boldness and pray for a desire to honor Jesus openly. 
Okay? So why don't we just kind of pair up, and I'll go with you, Glenn, since, we're, since you're sitting back there by yourself, and just kind of pair up, pair up with somebody close to you and just spend a couple, the next couple minutes before we set up for service, get ready for service, um, asking the Lord to do these things because this is where... This is where the will changes and where we get the powers by going to the Lord, to his throne of grace. Okay? All right.